Hello, greetings, and hi there. This is the Head Speaks Podcast, a proud member of the Headcast family. I am your host, Aaron Moss, also known as Brother Head. Welcome to Head Speaks, where I'll be talking about comics, movies, and recent news items that interest me. Basically, anything that strikes my fancy. Warning, this podcast may not be family-friendly. Head Speaks may contain adult language, adult content, fantasy violence, and nudity. You have been warned. The young, stupid, and easily offended may not want to listen to this headcast. In other words, parental guidance is more than suggested. And our first segment is going to be bitches, moans, and gripes. Uh, Today's topic is going to be political correctness and the stupidity of it. Uh, Before I get started, if you don't like what this has to say, go fuck yourself. Uh, Again, this is my podcast. These are my views. Deal with it. Uh, To begin with, I'm going to quote a a brilliant uh, comedian, songwriter named uh, Kevin Bloody Wilson. Uh, He's an Australian, uh, sings a lot of funny songs, a great guy. Um, In one of his songs, he says, makes a comment that if it's political, you can bet it's not fucking correct. And this is true. Most things that are political are not correct. Let's start with immigration and illegal aliens. Yes, I believe that, you know, there's a free country if people want to join up, come on over, uh, go through, you know, immigration and become a citizen. Learn the language. All for it. You know, it doesn't hurt to have more people in our country, I guess. Maybe. Um, My problem comes up when you get people, you know, that sneak across the border or don't want to learn the language, uh, want to bring all of their customs with them, ignore everything that we're doing, and have just, you know their own customs. Uh, This is America. There's a reason you want to come here. If you want to come to America, come here. And a lot of people say, you know, I heard a lot of people comment, well, you look at the early settlers. They didn't go through immigration. They just came over and took over. Yeah, how well did that work out for the fucking Indians? I bet now they wish they could have had a little immigration enforcement going on. Uh, So, I mean, yeah, yeah, if you want to come to our country, feel free. Learn language. Come over. And move here and become a citizen. Don't sneak over the border, sneak through the water, however you're getting here. You know, uh, like another Kevin Wilson says, uh, illegal immigrant. If you're an immigrant, welcome, good day, and have a seat. If you're legal, get the fuck out of here. Uh, become a legal immigrant, we're all good. Uh, the other thing I've got problems with is uh, some of our stuff with the schools. That whole no child left behind. A military saying I've heard or I've read through books and what have you is that you know you're only as strong as your weakest person. If we're slowing, if we're worrying about making sure that no one you know feels bad that they're stupid, that's going to hurt the smarter students because they're going to have to be dragged down to the dumber level. Uh, when I was growing up, if you couldn't handle the studies, you either went to special ed or you got held back a year. And, I mean, if that's the way it is, you know, this whole, you know, well, we don't want to hurt their feelings. It's bullshit. Life's going to hurt your feelings. They need to get used to it. If they can't do it, if they can't hack it in school, then they need the extra help, whether they stay behind, get a tutor, whatever. But those whole, you know, well, we don't want them to feel bad. That's just bullshit. Life's about feeling bad. Uh, I came out kind of uh, sad sack there, but, I mean, in life, there's disappointments. There's no one's going to hold your hand. 
even though a lot of people want to nowadays, you're not a precious little snowflake. I'm sorry. If you can't do it, either get the help or get held back. But, you know, don't penalize everyone else uh, just for the few that can't make it. Um, also, there's the whole thing with uh, girls nowadays and women, these feminist, militant feminist that are out there. They're upset that little girls want to play with Barbies and pink, and they're thinking that, you know, oh, it's going to give them a bad self-image to play with dolls. It's going to make them think, you know, the worst of women, you know, liking the color pink. There's a reason that men are men and women are women. A lot of women aren't going to like what I'm going to say next, but I'm going to say it. Fuck it. Men typically are stronger than women. Women are typically uh, more emotional more sensitive than men. That's the way it is. We can't have everyone being the exact same. Uh, if you keep on along that track, you're going to run into a, a society of androgynous, you know, no sexless, you know, no sex people. And who the hell wants that? Uh, yes, some women are strong. Uh, some men are weaker than women. Uh, some men are more emotional than women. Some women, you know, can be the emotionless, whatever you want to call them. But this whole thing about, you know, well, little girls can't play with pink or, you know, that's going to make them, you know, into a weaker person. That's just bullshit. If little Susie wants to play with her Barbies, wants to play with her little kitchen, she's not going to turn out to be a bad person because of that. Just like if little Susie wants to play with the G.I. Joes or the superheroes. There's nothing wrong with that. I've got a six-year-old daughter. She loves superheroes, but she also loves Barbie. She loves pink. I'm not worried about her as long as I teach her how to be a good person. She's going to grow up to be fine. Uh, if you disagree with me, disagree with me. But, you know, go pound sand. What can I say? Uh, and finally, there's... Well, not finally, but the next thing I want to talk about is people that get upset when you, you know, with stereotypes. Uh, sometimes, you know, gays are stereotyped to speak in a certain way or walk in a certain way. Yes, we know not all gays are that way. But there's a reason there's a fucking stereotype. Uh, the few gays that I've heard online or wherever, a lot of them speak with that... That accent, if you will. It's called the gay accent. You know what I'm fucking talking about. Don't act like you don't. Don't play stupid. You know what I'm saying. Whether you want to admit it or not, there, there is a gay accent. Not all gays have it. But a lot of them do, and that's where the stereotype comes from. So when someone's, you know, especially for like a comedy routine or something, they want to, uh, they put on that, oh, hello, sexy, that, that gay accent, as I call it, don't fucking get pissed off at them. There's a reason it's there. Also, along stereotypes, you know, a lot of people got into trouble recently. I say in trouble, but, you know, the media has made them sound like bastards for white people wearing blackface. <sighs> Yes, I understand that there was a time that it was considered, you know, making fun of black people. There was a time that it was considered bad. I guess it was considered good and then it considered bad. I, I don't fucking know, but you have can't just say, you know, a, guy's on, a white guy's on blackface and he's bad. You have to look at the reason behind it, the, the intent. Intent is everything. Like I talked about, I think it was my first episode, about language. It's not just what you say. It's not just what you do. It's the intent behind it. And sometimes some people just need to fucking get a life, pull the stick out of their ass, 
and just get on with it. I mean, yes, I'm a white guy. I'm 44 years old. So, yes, I didn't grow up with a lot of these prejudices against me. I didn't grow up, you know, I mean, there, I have some against me. I'm a fat guy. You know, you know what they say about fat guys. Uh, and a lot of it's true. That's why the stereotypes are there. But I don't get pissed off when I see someone, you know, make fun of black, fat people in the movies or whatever. I realize it's just for jokes. Uh, you need to fucking get over it. And again, in the news recently, there's been uh, a lot of uproar about teams' mascots being racist, like the uh, Redskins and uh, uh, whatever the fuck. Um, I'm not a minority. Again, as I said, I'm not a minority, so most of them, you know, aren't going to offend me that way, but again, it's all in good, clean fun the way I look at it. I think the people that are getting upset by this just need to, uh, again, pull the stick out of their ass and throw it away and deal with life. Because, I mean, I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think any of these mascots are intending to be, you know, hurtful to people. It's just, you know, again, stereotype. It's the way things, you know. And, again, maybe some stereotypes are good, some are bad, some are indifferent. Again, a lot of it's intense. Uh... I don't know, maybe if they had a, a big fat white guy as a mascot, maybe I'd be offended. Probably not. Uh, I realize I'm a big fat ass, so, you know, uh, deal with it. Uh, I don't know, that's my thoughts on the matter, as muddled as they may be. Uh, what do you think? Let me know about this week's Bitches, Bones, and Gripes. Um, otherwise, that's it for my bitches this week. Next, we're going to have Head's Bookshelf. This episode, we're going to talk about 11.22.63. It's a book by Mr. Stephen King himself. Uh, before I start the review, let me let you know, I am a big Stephen King fan, and I'm a big fan of time travel stories, so this is right up my alley. Um, spoiler warnings, I am going to go into detailed spoilers on this book. Uh, again, it was... Called, it's called 112263, published November the 8th, 2011. It's been released in hardback and paperback. Um, the cover is a mock newspaper with the front page of the, talking about the JFK uh, being slain in Dallas, is the headline. Uh, if you flip it over and look at the back, the back talks about the assassination attempt and how Kennedy actually survived it. It's from an alternate timeline. Um, Let's get into the book itself. The book is about a guy called Jacob, or Jake Epping, who's a divorced English teacher, uh, teaches high school, living in Maine, as most Stephen King stories take place. Uh, the story starts with Jake talking about an assignment. He's telling a story about an assignment he gave his G GED night class he teaches to write a story that he called The Day That Changed My Life. Something that, you know, changed their student's life just to get them to write. Uh, the best story that he was given, he loved the story, was by a, a dis disabled janitor working at the school named Harry Dunning. The story tells how his father beat him and killed his mom and sisters with a sledgehammer on uh, Halloween of 1958. Uh, after that point, Harry is now brain damaged and crippled. Jake, as I said, loved the story, so he gave Harry an A-plus on it. And after Harry graduates down the line, Jake takes him to his favorite diner for dinner one night. Owned by a guy named Al. Try that again. Owned by a guy named Al Templeton. Uh, we cut to two years later. Al calls Jake up and tells him he wants to meet him at his diner. 
Jake shows up. Al has apparently aged many years since the last time that Jake saw him, which was the previous day. Uh, Al confesses that he's dying. Uh, when Jake inquires further about what's going on, you know, why he looks so old, when yesterday he looked healthy, uh, Al tells him that he's been living in the past. Uh, he's found a doorway in his dinner's dinner in his diner's pantry that takes him into the past. Uh, it takes him back to uh, September the 9th of 1958 at about 11:58 a.m. Uh, he's been he's been living there for the last you know for many years, his time. And when he comes back, he's you know so he's older than he was just the day before. Uh, that's how come he's always got a great deal on his hamburgers because he goes back to the past and gets his hamburger meat, brings it to the present, and sells it for you know, a cheaper price than most other places. Um, Al invites Jake to travel through the door doorway and try it out. So Jake travels through and he spends about an hour or so back there. And uh, while he's there, when he first comes through, he meets a bum that Al calls the Yellow Card Man. Because uh, the guy has a yellow card in his hat. Al says the guy's always there. He, you know, he doesn't bother him. There's no problem. Al also explains how the portal works. Uh, no matter when he goes back, however many times he goes back, he always goes back to September the 9th, 1958, at precisely 11.58 a.m. Uh, when he returns, only two minutes has elapsed, no matter how much time he spends there. So when Al went back to the past and lived many years, he came back to the present. It was only two minutes later. Uh, past events can be changed. Uh, so if you go back to the past, you can change something. When you come to the present, the changes will take, have taken effect. Uh, but if you go back into the door again, it's going to reset everything back to the default settings, if you will. Because, again, you're going to the same time and you're wiping out your previous journey, if you will. Uh, also, the, one of the biggest uh, things is that time throws up obstacles and stops the past from being changed. Uh, the bigger the change, the bigger the obstacles. Uh, time, again, while it can be changed, time doesn't like being changed. Uh, so it's going to throw up obstacles. It's going to do things to prevent you from changing the past. So and the bigger change you want to make, you know, if you just want to save a kitten from dying, not so much of a problem. If you want to, you know stop World War III, that's going to be a bigger problem. Uh, Al tells him how he tried to stop the Kennedy assassination, but he only made it to 1962 before developing lung cancer due to constantly, constantly, constantly smoking. And that's why he looks so sickly and looks old now, is because he's lived back in 19... He's lived in the past for 58 to 62 and smoking all the time, he's got lung cancer... So he's slowly dying. He knows he doesn't have much longer to live, so he wants Jake to carry on his mission. He wants Jake to go back in the past and stop the Kennedy assassination. Uh, Jake says, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Uh, for a trial mission, though, he's going to do something not so it not, doesn't take quite as long and not as drastic. He wants to go back to 1958 and prevent the attack on Harry's family and try to save... Harry's mother and sister from dying, and from Harry himself from getting the damage. And oh hush, that uh, was my wife's dog Piper. Uh, anyways, try to stop his uh, Harry from getting brain damaged. Uh, so uh, Al helps him out. He has a fake idea for 
a fake ID for name of George Amberson, and he also have he has tons of fifties currency from when he was there. So uh, Jake takes the ID, takes the money, goes through the portal. Uh, this time when he comes through, the yellow card man, he's actually an orange card man, and he seems to recognize Jake that Jake's been there before, which is totally different than any other time. Jake kind of blows that off. Uh, he ends up going to Derry, Maine, who the town might be recognizable to King fans because a lot of things take place in Derry or around Derry. And he watches Harry's dad, whose name's Frank. Uh, while he's there, he meets a, ba a man named Bill Turcott. Turcott? Uh, Time's pet Bill there to kind of interfere with Jake to stop Jake from making any changes, though neither Bill nor Jake realize this at first. Jake finally catches on what's going on and works around it. Uh, uh, Bill, sorry, Jake uh, tries to stop the uh, the murder of Harry's parent, uh, mother and sisters. Uh, unwittingly, Bill helps out. Uh, Frank still kills one of Harry's brothers. Or, I'm sorry, he kills Harry's brother and injures his mother still. So Harry doesn't Harry doesn't get brain damage. His sister lives, and I said sisters earlier, but I think it was a sister and a brother. Now that I think about it, I read my notes. Uh, his sister's still alive. Uh, his mother seriously injured, and his brother dies. Uh, Jake returns back through the doorway, back to the present time, and contacts Harry's sister because he can't locate Harry. Uh, so he contacts his sister. She tells him that Harry actually died in Vietnam. Uh, he became a soldier, went to Vietnam, and died. Uh, the next morning, Jake contacts Al. Uh, or he tries to, anyways. Uh, as he goes to Al's restaurant, he finds out Al has OD'd on painkillers, and he died. Uh, Jake takes all of Al's notes on the assassination of uh, Kennedy, and all the information he's collected on sports for the last umpteen years. From 1958 to present, and he goes back into the past. Uh, this time, when Jake goes back into the past, he finds the yellow card man has a black card in his hat, and he's committed suicide and is dead. Uh, Al, sorry, Jake goes to the dairy, and he finds Frank ahead of time, Harry's dad, and kills him and disposes of the body, just to. This is the way, you know, things can't get farked up. Uh, and, you know, no one's going to get hurt. He kills off Frank and gets rid of the body. Uh, he then goes to Florida, gets a Miller degree, and becomes a teacher. Uh, for money, he's, that information that he took from uh, Al, he used it to place bets, and he's placing a lot of large bets and winning money, and that's how he started surviving. Um... Speaking of which, he, he does win tons of money with a bookie. And uh, after one of the times when he wins a lot of money, he has a premonition of his death. So he takes off and leaves Florida. Right after he leaves, I mean, that same day, his house that he's renting is firebombed. Uh, if he hadn't left, he would have been there and he could have died. Uh, trying to get away, he moves to Jody, Texas, which is a couple hours away from Dallas. So he can wait for 1963 and Oswald to come along. While he's there, he starts sub substituting, substituting, and eventually becomes a full-time teacher at Denholm Consolidated High School. 
uh, while he's there, he he's a very good teacher. He you know, the students like him. He impresses the retiring librarian named Ms. Mimi and the principal, Deacon Deke Simmons. Um, so he has a life in Jody, Texas. He's a teacher, well-liked teacher. The staff likes him. Uh, while he's there, the, uh, as I said, Ms. Mimi, Ms. Mimi was retiring. The new librarian is Sadie Dunhill, uh, who we find out is running for her ex psychotic ex-husband, John Clayton. Jake and Sadie start up a little relationship. Things start going good between them. Uh, at this point, he knows 63 and Oswald's coming up, but he's happy here uh, in Jody with Sadie. So he's kind of torn at this point. Well, do I, do I stay where I'm happy? Do I stay with Sadie? Or do I go off and stop this assassination? Meanwhile, Sadie, Sadie, becomes suspicious of Jake's secret movements. Movement, movements. I can't speak today, people. Uh, try that again. Sadie becomes suspicious of Jake's secretive movements, and also some of the words he uses as slang. Jake's using words from our current age, back in the '58, '59 era, and she's like, "Wait a minute, that doesn't sound right." When she questions him, he's very, you know, again, very secretive about it. He doesn't want to tell her anything. So she breaks off the relationship and moves to Reno. Uh, meanwhile, the new principal, named Ellen Dockery, or Ms. Ellie, discovers that Jake's references are all faked. And the, the degree that I'm, I'm doing in quote, air quotes is actually a mail-order degree. She, so she finds out that Jake's been lying. Something's not quite right with him. Uh, Jake decided to this point to get the hell out of town, so he moves out of Jody, and he moves to Fort Worth, across the street from our good buddy Oswald. And there he starts monitoring him. He, he goes to a uh, a store that sells like sp uh, spy materials and stuff, and he gets some mice and bugs, and or mics and bugs, not mice. <laughs> He gets mics and bugs, and he watches Oswald from across the street. In the meantime, Jake and Sadie start talking again. Uh, while she doesn't quite trust him, she still loves him, so she she wants to try to give him a second chance to come clean. Uh, Jake is able to predict the Cuban Missile Crisis, and at this point he reveals his identity to her, who he is, where he's from, and what he's there for. Even though it's far out and, you know, I'm from the future, she believes them, and they get back together. Uh, so at this point, Jake, you know, he could kill Oswald off now and save the president with plenty, you know, without worrying about staying around till 63, but he's hesitant to kill him off, not knowing if he's acting alone or not. Because if Oswald's acting alone and he can kill him off, he came off here. He doesn't have to worry about waiting around till 63. He doesn't have to worry about time trying to stop him. He can do it now and prevent things. But if Oswald's not acting alone, if he, if there you know was a gunman behind the hill or if there's someone else in play, uh, killing Oswald's not going to affect anything really, and Kennedy can still die, and probably have even less information now. Uh, so he's kind of hesitant on what to do at this point. So he decides he's going to wait for Oswald to try to kill Major. General Edwin Walker. Uh, he figures at that point he'll watch and see what's going on. If he tries it alone, if he doesn't have any contact with anyone else, 
he knows that Oswald's the lone assassin, or he'll watch him and see if he's in contact with anyone else, if he's part of some either, you know, the government group, or Cuba, or who he's working with, if anyone. Meanwhile, while there, this is all going on, uh, our buddy Johnny, John Clayton, that I talked about earlier, I briefly mentioned him, uh, Sadie's ex-husband, yeah, him. He tracks Sadie down, and he's taken her captive. Jake busts in, he saves Sadie, but not before Johnny mutilates Sadie's face with a knife. Johnny then commits suicide. So at this point, you know, Sadie's alive, but she's damaged. Jake offers to take Sadie back home with him. After he saves Oswald, sorry, after he saves Kennedy from Oswald, he tells her he'll take her back to the present with him. She can get plastic surgery, she'll be fine, they can live happily ever after. She says, okay, that sounds good to her. So Jake pays for Sadie's medical bills because they're extremely high, using his information from the future. He places more bets, wins the money, he pays off the medical bills. Uh, again, as he is running low on money, he places a high stakes bet to make a lot of money. Uh, the bookie and the henchmen think that Jake is cheating because, you know, God forbid someone actually wins a bet. They find Jake and they beat the living crap out of him. I mean, they don't just, you know, break an arm or a leg. They beat the crap out of him. Uh, he goes in the hospital, and he, when he wakes up, he has partial amnesia. Uh, for, like, the next three months, he can't remember anything. Uh, so Sadie's nursing him back to health. Uh, finally, like I said, after about three months, he finally remembers Al's notes are in a safe deposit box. Uh, so he goes to the safe deposit box, he gets his notes, he reads through them, and it kind of helps him... Things clear back into place on what he's doing. Sadie offers to help. Uh, Jake doesn't want her to because he's already seen, you know, he's thinking that time is the reason that time, in quotes, is the reason that the book and the engine beat the crap out of him, trying to stop him from making any changes. And he's afraid of Sadie getting hurt worse. Uh, but finally he relents and decides to let her join Team Jake and stop the assassination. Finally, we get to the moment we're waiting for, 1963, November the 22nd, uh, Jake, Jake, both Jake and Sadie uh, go to stop the assassination, and they bust on on Oswald, and they're able to save Kennedy, but Sadie's murdered instead. Um, the Secret Service see what's going on, and they shoot Oswald while he's still in the depository. Uh, Kennedy thanks Jake. And the FBI suggests that he disappears. He says at this point, you know, Sadie's gone, fuck it, I'm going home. The president's saved, hell with it. So he goes back to his present time. Uh, as he's headed back to Maine, he hears about an earthquake leveling California, or not leveling, but he hears of an earthquake in California that's really large that he never heard of before, before he changed time. Uh, when he gets back to Lisbon Falls, uh, he finds the yellow card man, but this time it's a different guy. He's younger, and he has a green card. Uh, the green card man tells him that they what they do is it's a, it's a group of guys, and they monitor time anomalies, and he also lets them know that there's other portals in the universe. So there's a bunch of card men with different colored hats, or different colored cards in their hats, monitoring all these little portals. Uh, the portals, he explains, are temporary bubbles that eventually will disappear as the physical environment changes.
he lets them know that going back in time does not reset time like they thought. Uh, when you go back in time through the bubble, I'm sorry, through the doorway, it creates an alternate reality, an alternate timeline, if you will. So whatever was originally there, all these other timelines, all these other going back in times are still there. It's just different timelines. Uh, also, whenever you make a change to the past, it causes problems with the home reality. The bigger the change, the bigger changes to the home time, and every change you make causes reality to become a little more unstable. So it's not good to be mucking up time, basically. Uh, he, Jake goes back to 19, or 2011, which is present time. He finds out since 63 and 2011, there's been a nu nuclear apocalypse, natural disasters at the wazoo. Uh, the world's like in a mess. He finds uh, our old buddy Harry, finds out Harry's in a wheelchair, and he ends up saving Harry from a team of gangs. Or maybe it's a gang of teens. That sounds better. He saves Harry from a gang of teens. Uh, they get talking. Harry outlines the new history. Apparently in the new reality, Kennedy was re-elected for a second term. Uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was never passed because between 63 and 64, Kennedy's support started declining. So without... Kennedy dying for it, so basically, the Civil Rights Act did not pass. Uh, Martin Luther King was still assassinated, and in 1968, George Wallace was elected president. Uh, another change he found out about was the Vietnam War turned into a nuclear war instead. So that escalated mightily. Uh, eventually, the state of Maine seceded from the U.S. and is now a Canadian province. Earthquakes have sunk several Japanese islands, and scientists are predicting earthquakes will destroy the world by 2080. Jake realizes how badly he screwed up by doing all this, so he goes back to 1958 to undo the change to return time back to what it was. When he gets there, the green card man tells him that he should go home without changing anything. Uh, Jake hangs out in the past for a while, hiding out, writing his memoirs, and eventually, you know what? The green card man's right. The world's fucked up with all these changes. He doesn't change anything, and he returns home. He gets back. The world's pretty much the way he left it originally. Uh, well, the world may be screwed up. At least we don't have nuclear wars and disa natural disasters destroying us. Uh, back at home, he decides to look up Sadie and find out what happened to her. Uh, he finds out that she survived her ex-husband, and she's lived a life of civic duties. In fact, the town of Jody is going to honor Sadie as a citizen of the century. So apparently in, this, in the original timeline, again, he didn't know nothing about this originally because he didn't know of Sadie originally. But the original timeline, apparently uh, her ex-husband found her again in Clayton. Sorry, found her in, in Jody. Still attacked her, but she was able to survive, even without Jake helping out. So as I said, Jody, uh, the town of Jody is going to celebrate and honor Sadie as their citizen of the century. So jo Jake goes to Jody. A lot of J's right there. Yes, for me too is a lot. Jake goes to Jody and meets up with Sadie, who is now an old lady. He introduces himself as George Amberson, the name he originally went by and that she originally met him by. Uh, she has a faint feeling of deja vu, which is basically to show how strong their love is that even in the restored timeline, she still remembers hints of him from the 
previous timeline. Uh, the story ends with Jake and Sadie dancing to Glenn Miller's In the Mood, which in the old timeline was a song that they fell in love dancing to. Uh, again, I thought it was a great story. I love time travel. I love Stephen King. Couldn't go wrong. Well, he could have, but he didn't. Uh, final note on this. Uh, from Wiki, the original ending, uh, Stephen King published an alternate ending on his official website on January 24, 2012, in which Jake finds a November 20, 2013 news article where Sadie has turned 80. She had married a man named Trevor Anderson, with whom she has five children, 11 grandchildren, and six great-grandchildren. And this ending was changed to what was actually published at the suggestion of King's son, another writer named Joe Hill. I think I liked the ending that he had that actually came out better than this alternative ending. Uh, where, I guess in this alternate ending, Jake doesn't actually meet back up with her. He just finds out she's married and leaves it as is. I liked them getting together finally in the end. Apparently at one time there was talks of a movie by a Jonathan Demi. Uh, but disagreements with on, with King on what to include, the movie fell through. I guess Jonathan wanted some things in, Stephen wanted other things in, and things just kind of went to hit shit. Uh, at this point, Warner Brothers and Bad Robot, which is J.J. Abrams' company, are looks like they're in negotiations to do either a series or a miniseries on 11-22-63. Uh, with Abrams involved and Warner Brothers, I, I think it would be good. I think they could do a good job on it. I would definitely watch it because, again, I, I did love this book. I highly recommend it. So if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, go to your local library, go to Amazon.com, hell, go to a brick-and-mortar store, go to uh, Barnes & Noble or Borders, wherever you can find open, and pick up a copy of 11-22-63 by Stephen King. Uh, it's a great book. If you, if you love Stephen King, you'll like it. If you love time travel, you'll like it. If you like alternate realities, you'll like it. If you like good stories, you'll fucking like it. Just take my word for it. The word of head. Go read 11-22-63. And that's what's on Head's Bookshelf. Today on Head's Longbox, we're going to talk about G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, published from by Marvel Comics, and then more recently, IWD Comics. Um, I was debating on maybe starting up a G.I. Joe headcast to go with my other wonderful headcasts, but I found some gentleman that's actually started a G.I. Joe podcast already. Though I've downloaded the episodes, I'm listening to them, they're pretty good so far. The only problem is they've only had one this year. They had like one last year, the two year before that. So they're, they're very sporadic and in between. So I still may start up a G.I. Joe headcast at some point in the future. Uh, tell me what you guys think. If you'd be interested in hearing a G me talk about G.I. Joe, the comic book, uh, let me know. Uh, you can email me at headspeaks at headspeaks.com. Now... Uh, on to G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. Uh, that's a comic book that was published by Marvel Comics from 1982 until 1994. It's based on Hasbro's G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero line of military-themed toys. The series was credited for take, making G.I. Joe into a pop culture phenomenon. G.I. Joe was also the first comic book to be advertised on television in what has been called a historically crucial moment in media coverage. The series was written for most of its 155-issue run by comic book writer, artist, and editor Larry Hama. 
and was notable for its realistic character-based st uh, storytelling style, which was unusual for a toy comic at the time. Larry wrote the series for, uh, spontaneously, never knowing how a story would end until it was finished. We worked closely with the artists, giving them sketches for the characters and major scenes. While most of the stories involved the G.I. Joe team battling the forces of Cobra and uh, Destro and his assorted minions, uh, it also focused on the relationships and background stories of the characters. Uh, Ham has been said in several interviews that he wasn't worried about continuity. Uh, his main concern was characterization. Uh, Hama, he created most of the characters in collab collaboration with Hasbro, and he used a system of file cards to keep track of the personalities and the histories of the characters, which Hasbro actually heard about, and they asked him to use if they could use that, and they started putting them on the toys, because they thought it was a really good idea. I know I personally I bought a lot of the G.I. Joe toys back in the day, and I, I thought that the file cards were really cool. It was a major selling point for them. Uh, back to the comic, uh, G.I. Joe was Marvel's top-selling subscription title in 1985, and was receiving over 1,200 fan letters per week by 1987. Uh, the series has been credited with bringing in a new generation of comic book readers. Since many children were introduced to the comic book medium through G.I. Joe, and later and later went on to read other comics. I was one of them. As I've said previously, I, I've watched the, cart, the comic book movie or TV shows, read the occasional comic book. I wasn't a comic book fan until I watched the G.I. Joe cartoon. Eventually it led to the G.I. Joe comic book, which branched out and led me to spending paychecks at a time almost on comics. So uh, I'm one of those that the G.I. Joe comic book brought into the wider world of comics. Uh, the story was... the Yeah, try that again. The series was also popular with women because it featured many strong female characters. The comic book has been reprinted several times and translated to multiple languages. Also, in addition to direct spin-offs, several revivals and imaginings have been published through the 2000s. Uh, a little history on G.I. Joe. Uh, Hasbro note, uh, noticed that Star Wars was very popular with their little figures. So they relaunched G.I. Joe as a 3.75 inch, three and a quarter, uh, what is it, three and a three quarter inch figure. Originally it was a 12 inch figure uh, back in the 60s. When they relaunched it in the 80s, they reduced it down to the same size as the Star Wars figures because they were so popular. Uh, they wanted to uh, do something different with them, so they talked to Marvel about creating some background stories. At the time, Larry Hama's working on a pitch for Marvel called Fury Force which was, uh, I guess, the son of Nick Fury from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and his little group. Uh, they weren't quite interested in that, but he was able to adapt that and use that for G.I. Joe. Uh, basically, Hama said that he did it because no one else wanted it. They took G.I. Joe, a bunch of other uh, writers in the office, and everyone turned them down. Uh, Hama took them up on it. Why? Well, to quote Larry Hama, if they asked me to write the... Try that again. If they had asked me to write Barbie, I would have done that too. So, yeah, he started writing because it was money coming in. Uh, during some of their conversations, uh, Archie Goodwin, an editor for Marvel, suggested that their enemy should be Cobra, or Cobra Command, uh, be much like the Hydra organization in Marvel Comics. Uh, the first issue came out June 1982. There was two stories in it, which introduces to the original G.I. Joe team. Uh, introduces to the Pit, Cobra Commander, and the Baroness. 
Uh, interesting little side note, the Baroness is one of the first times where the t uh, her character in the comic predated her appearance in a, as a toy. I believe originally the toys was the 13 G.I. Joe members plus Cobra Commander. Uh, but in the first issue, they introduced the Baroness, which later on became a toy. Uh, most of the stories were completed in one issue. There were some multi-part ones. Uh, during the first year, they started introducing subplots that would carry on through the comics. Uh, notes of issues of interest. Issue 11 introduced Destro and the rest of the 1983 toy line. Uh, it also established a pattern of introducing the New Year's figures and vehicles. So when Hasbro would uh, be ready to bring out their new line of figures, Larry Hammond would write them into the comic and introduce them that way to the kids. That way, kind of get more interest towards them. A uh, couple highlight issues uh, was issue 21, which was the silent issue. Uh, this issue here, apparently from what I've heard in a recent interview, uh, Larry Hammond said they were running behind. So to save some time, instead of having to send the comic to the uh, letter, they skip that stage and you decide, you know what, I'm going to try to do this one without any word or any sound effects or anything. And it came out pretty damn good. A lot of people still reference that. They uh, Marvel, here several years ago, had their Nuff Zed month, where all their comics were silent comics, much like that issue of G.I. Joe. Uh, great issue. Also was issues 26 and 27, which highlighted Snake Eyes' origin. Uh, Larry Hama himself has said he considers 26 and 27 his favorite issues. Uh, in 1986, issue, four, number, issue number 49, they introduced Serpentor, which was followed up by the TV show, bringing in Serpentor. Issue 73 through 76 is another, uh, some of my favorite comics. Issue 73 through 76 was the Cobra War where Cobra, Serpentor, Destro all battled on Cobra Island uh, to see who should lead Cobra. Uh, most toy comics only lasted about two years. G.I. Joe lasted 12 years. It was a huge success. It was wonderful. Uh, the 90s kind of dropped in quality and was canceled in 1994 with issue 155. Uh, it was canceled due to low sales. Uh, that same year they canceled the toy line. I know I really enjoyed the comic, and then uh, right after the hundreds, it wasn't quite as good to me. And I, I kind of dropped off for a while myself also with G.I. Joe comic. Uh, a quote from Larry Hama. It reached the end of its half-life. Until G.I. Joe and Transformers, toys books had a life expectancy of one to two years. Three years was considered a long time. Hasbro didn't expect the toy line to have that much life in it. Also, the market had changed completely. When I fi first started doing store... Try that again. He said, when I first started doing store sign signings, there were lines around the block, and it was all 10-year-old boys. The last time I did a store signing in New York City, everybody was over 30, and two of the guys who showed up were mailmen that had skipped off the routes to get their books signed. So at that point there, he figured, you know, most of the fans were out of the original age bracket he was writing for, and the stories just weren't quite as good. Um... They advertised the comic on the TV. Uh, it was the, actually the first comic that was advertised on TV. Uh, the reason they did that is because toys could only have 10 seconds of cartoon, of animation, whereas comics, if you're advertising a comic book, you could advertise for the entire 30 seconds using animation. So that was one way they used to advertise their toys, was by advertising the Marvel comic, 
which essentially was the toys. Uh, G.I. Joe featured an ensemble cast with the original 13 characters being Hawk, Stalker, Breaker, Clutch, Scarlet, Rock and Roll, Steeler, Grand Slam, Flash, Short Fuse, Grunt, Zap, and of course mine and everyone else's favorite, Snake Eyes. Uh, this reflected their origins in the Hasbro toy line, with the initial characters being the same as the action figures in the original 1982 release of the toy line. And the team roster would expand as new toys were released. Uh, again, as I said previously, Hama created the new toys with Hasbro. Hasbro would, you know, they come up with some ideas, they would send sketches to uh, Larry Hama and also brief descriptions of their military specialties. Larry, or, yeah, Larry Hama would create the background cards and bring the characters to life. Uh, as I said previously, Hama would keep track of all the characters on file cards. Uh, which, again, Hasbro found out about, and they started using that to send with the toys. Uh, Hamma also tended to base his characters on people he knew. Again, a lot of good writers do that. that that's how you get a, a real-life living character, is by basing him on someone you know. Uh, to him, continuity meant nothing. He was always concerned with the characters and characterization. Uh, some spin-offs. Uh, there was three or four yearbooks which contained articles about the cartoons, summary of the plot of the day, and some short stories. That ran from 1985 until 1988. 1986, they had a secondary spin-off series called Special Missions. It ran 28 issues. Uh, it, the first, uh, I'm sorry, try that again. Issue 50 had a preview of it. Uh, Special Missions was a little different. It could be a little more violence, or a little more intense violence. And the morality was a little more ambiguous. It also contained usually it was usually a standalone mission containing a smaller group of Joes than the main main title had. Uh, also, they had the Order of Battle miniseries. It was a four-issue miniseries which came out in 1986, 1987, which basically just reprinted all the file cards. Uh, it was an interesting little uh, series. I bought that myself. Uh, issues one and two covered GI Joe members. Issue 3 covered Cobra, and number issue 4 covered the vehicles and any updates. And there was a trade paperback that came out in 1987, recollecting all that. Also, there was G.I. Joe vs. Transformers. Uh, that was a four-issue miniseries, came out in 1987. Again, they did collect it in a trade paperback. One of the important things for the Transformers series was that was where Bumblebee uh, was blew up, he destroyed, was destroyed, and uh, he was rebuilt as Goldbug which is reflected in the comics. Uh, as far as reprints, there was uh, something called the G.I. Joe Magazine, which was uh, a little digest. It reprinted the first 37 issues. Uh, I actually uh, had a lot of the early issues. That's how I read before I actually bought them. I got the digest first, and I read through the earlier issues that way. Um, also, there was Tales of G.I. Joe, which reprinted the first 15 issues in a higher quality paper stock. Uh, there was also, over in uh, the UK, there was a series called G.I. Joe European Missions, which was published monthly from June of 1988 until August of 89. Actually, I'm sorry, that was printed, that came out here, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, G.I. Joe European Missions was came out in America from 88 until 89, and the European missions were all reprints of the Action Force Monthly, which was the UK version of G.I. Joe. Got a little mixed up there. 
So yeah, G.I. Joe European Missions was reprints of the Action Force Monthly, which was reprints, uh, which was a UK series of the G.I. Joe team. They were all original stories, and these weren't written by Larry Hama. These were different writers over in the UK, I believe. Uh, in 2001, uh, Devil's Due had a four-issue mini, uh, four-issue yeah miniseries entitled G.I. Joe: A Real American Hero, reinstated. Uh, the sales on that was really good, so they turned it into a regular series, which lasted 40, 43 issues, and then was once again relaunched into a title called G.I. Joe: America's Elite for 36 issues. In 1986, sorry, my notes here were a little confused. Contract expired in 86, not renewed. I believe I meant to say their contract expired in uh, 2006. Devil's Due had a contract with uh, Hasbro to do the G.I. Joe comic. It expired in 2006, and it wasn't renewed. Uh, the first 50 issues at this time was reprinted in a trade paperback format, 10 issues per paperback. Uh, so there's five trade paperbacks with covers by J. Scott Campbell. After that, 2009, we saw IWD, IDW uh, republishing the originals as classic G.I. Joe. Again, they had trade paperbacks same way as before. They had 10 issues per volume called GI Joe, uh, classic G.I. Joe. And then apparently uh, the last few collections had slightly more issues in them to conclude with the 15th paperback volume, which was published in August of 2012. Uh, they also reprinted the special missions issues and the uh, G.I. Joe yearbooks. IDW then, uh, while they had the uh, G.I. Joe license, they started up a new G.I. Joe comic, which if I'm not mistaken took place sometime after the Marvel series ended, and they have an ongoing title. It's up to issue 30-something or so. Uh, not a bad read. I've been kind of reading it, but I recently stopped because of good reason. Uh, in 2010, Mar or IDW decided to start a new G.I. Joe title. Well, I say a new title. They're, they restarted G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. They released issue 155 and a half on Free Comic Book Day of 2010, which basically took up right after the last issue of the Marvel G.I. Joe series. And right after that, they launched into a new series starting with issue 156, continuing on with the adventures of that G.I. Joe team for Marvel. Again, written by Larry Hama. Uh, just the same storylines that was going on, continuing to present day. Currently, they're up to issue 204, 205. Uh, for a while, there, I was reading both uh, the new G.I. Joe series and A Real American Hero, but I was getting a little confused on you know, what was happening in which story, uh, reading two different storylines of the same characters. So I stopped reading the G.I. Joe to stick with G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, since that's the continuation of the comic series that I loved and enjoyed, and basically got me into comics. Uh, but that is G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, again, published by Marvel Comics, and more recently, IDW. Uh, if you get a chance, check them out. Uh, like I say, there was uh, 20 issue, 30 issues or so in the hundreds that wasn't quite as good. Uh, storytelling got a little lack, lackluster, just kind of boring, and I don't know, I just couldn't be with it. 
but overall, it was a great series. And uh, again, I am thinking about doing a G.I. Joe headcast uh, to go along with my other ones. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, send me an email. Uh, but for now, now you know what's in Head's Long Box. Yo, Joe! And to close out Head's bookshelf, I'm going to play one of the PSAs that used to play with the G.I. Joe cartoons. Uh, so sit back for 30 seconds or so and enjoy this blast from the past. I'm running away from home. My parents are mean. Where will you go? Oh, I'm not sure, but I'll show them. That's right. You'll show them how mean you can be. Shipwreck! Isn't it better to try to solve problems instead of running away from them? I could try talking to my parents again. Yeah, tell them how you feel. And remember, running away leads nowhere. Now I know. And, and knowing, knowing is half, half the battle. G.I. Joe! I still love those PSAs. Make me laugh. Anyways, and now you know. Uh, our next segment today is going to be Geekin' of Head. Uh, I'm really excited about today's news. Um, oh, so much going on in the last couple of weeks. Uh, where should I start? Uh, let's go ahead and start with some Marvel news. Uh, Marvel comic book news. In Marvel Comics, apparently uh, the big news here the last week or so is that Thor is being changed into a woman. Uh, apparently he's pissed off the Allfather, and so as punishment, this time he's being turned into a woman. Also, in related news... The Falcon, an African-American superhero, being politically correct, is taking over for Captain America. Uh, I've only been halfway reading the Captain America series lately, so I'm not quite sure why, but apparently the Falcon is going to take over for Captain America. Uh, again, I don't see that lasting long. Actually, neither one of these I don't see lasting long, seeing how in the big screen movies we have uh, Chris Evans... A white guy is Captain America, and Chris Hemsworth is Thor. I, I don't see it staying long. I mean, hell, they killed off Captain America a few years back, and after a year or two, he came back. So, I, the only one I see sticking ground for a little while is maybe the uh, Falcon and the Captain America, because they have introduced Sam Wilson, a.k.a. the Falcon in the Marvel movie, in Captain America 2, which, if I haven't said this yet, and if you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's a great, fantastic fucking movie. Uh, anyways, uh, they've introduced Sam Wilson as the Falcon in Captain America 2 Winter Soldier. Uh, go watch the movie. It's great. Uh, but yeah, overall, change doesn't come easy to comics usually. So I don't see these change sticking around. Uh, give it a couple years, and Steve Rogers will be back to being Captain America. Uh, Thor will lose the boobs and grow a dick again. And we'll be all good. Um, so that's for Marvel comic book news. Now for Marvel movie news, apparently Joaquin Phoenix is rumored to be up for the upcoming Doctor Strange movie. Yes, the master of the mystical arts, Doctor Strange, is getting a movie. And uh, Joaquin Phoenix is rumored to be up in the, for the lead character. Uh, we'll see how that pans out. Also in Marvel... Uh, movie news uh, from Sony Pictures. Uh, they said they've announced that Sinister Six movie based on Spider-Man's villains, which in the comics it was uh, Green Goblin, Doc Ock, uh, a handful of other people's lineups changed over here and there over the years. Anyways, the Sinister Six movies 
coming out November the 11th, 2016. And Amazing Spider-Man 3, at this point, is due out 2018. Uh, we'll see how that comes out. Um, the last two Amazing Spider-Mans were pretty good. Uh, so that's it for Marvel news. Uh, Star Wars, quick bit of news. Apparently the filming's been delayed. Apparently uh, Harrison Ford, as everyone's heard by now, uh, hurt his leg on the Millennium Falcon. Apparently the door shut on it, and uh, they thought at first it was just sprained or something, but apparently it's broke. Uh, so they're postponing some shooting on that. Possibly do some rewrites. Depends on how badly the legs hurt. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that and see how things work out for that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there is I did find a G.I. Joe pit podcast. It's called G.I. Joe Review. Uh, currently, they're up to episode 45, uh, which is issue 60, uh, which is actually about the, around the time I started collecting and reading comics. Uh, they haven't been put out regular episodes. Like I say, they had one this year in January. I believe they had one last year in January. Uh, it may have been two last year. So at this point, I, I am still thinking about doing my own G.I. Joe podcast. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, if I don't do that, I'll just review some of the comics in Head's Long Box. I'll definitely, as I said earlier, I'll definitely review issues 26 and 27, Snake Eyes Origin, because that was a great uh, couple of issues, and then the Cobra Island War that I mentioned earlier. I still haven't decided. Uh, still thinking about it. Anyways, on to DC. Uh, what's probably the biggest DC news I'm going to do first, because it's not as big to me, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, the new Superman movie, apparently the name is going to be Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. I've heard a lot of people complain about the V in there. V, in case you don't know, stands for Versus. So it's going to be Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. A lot of people are complaining that it has a V instead of the word Versus or VS. A lot of people don't realize that V is also short for Versus. Uh, but anyways, Batman versus Superman. Uh, supposedly they've got uh, a, gal, a woman called Gal Gadot, lined up as Wonder Woman. Uh, at San Diego Comic Con, they released pictures of her dressed as Wonder Woman. The pictures I've seen looks pretty good so far. I want to wait and see how she acts and compare to the other actors. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, Holly Hunter is going to appear in the movie as a senator. Uh, Teo Okamoto, who was in, who was Marquio in the Wolverine, uh, the Wolverine, the Wolverine sequel movie, she's going to be in there as Mercy Graves. I'm not sure about that yet. Mercy Graves is usually a tall, if I'm not mistaken, she's a, a tallish Amazon-looking woman. We'll see how that works out. Uh, Jeremy Irons is Alfred. I like Jeremy Irons. I just don't quite see him in the Alfred role. But we'll see how he does. Also, there's going to be cameos by uh, a gentleman named Ray Fisher as Cyborg. And Jason Momoa, who, if you watch Game of Thrones, you may know him as Cal Drogo, is going to be uh, showing up as Aquaman. And this all ties into the upcoming Justice League movie they're working on, which is really cool. Um, on to... Uh, we're going to hold off on uh, DC TV news for right now, because that, that's, to me, the biggest thing right now. Uh, on to uh, reports for G.I. Joe. 
Apparently, they are working on a G.I. Joe 3 uh, from the Wikipedia. Uh, it says, on April 1st, 2013, reports surfaced that there will be a third G.I. Joe film, and it'll be likely in 3D, because everything's in 3D nowadays, of course. Uh, the studio announced at the time that Chu, I believe it's Stephen Chu, will return to direct the third film. While at the 2013 San Diego Comic-Con, which was last year, Chu talked about bringing Scarlet back in the next film. Uh, the writers of the second film are also thinking about bringing the Baroness back in the sequel. Uh, the sequel of the sequel. Anyways, they're talking about bringing the Baroness back. The Rock is interested in returning his roadblock for the sequel. And uh, Ray Park has talked about a possible return of Snake Eyes and also including his pet wolf, Timber which I'm really excited about. I like Timber. That'd be really cool to see Timber show up in the movie. Um, producer Lonzo D. Bonaventura, I believe is how you pronounce his name, told Beijing News that he hoped that Johnson and Willis would return. Uh, the script was still in the writing stage at that point, and that they are considering it a third important role. Uh, fast forward to September the 10th of 2013. Uh, Chu was confirmed to direct the film along with writer Evan Doughty, Doherty, Evan Doherty, who wrote Snow White and the Huntsman, Divergent, and he did some rewrites on the upcoming Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. Uh, let me see. And then on uh, December 5th of 2013, Doherty, Doherty talked about writing the film script and his feelings on Duke being killed, but she told MTV that Tatum may return as Duke in the sequel. Ugh. That's me groaning, kids. I I hope to God they don't bring Duke back. I like Duke. I think Duke's a great character. I I dislike Chatham Tanning. I Chatham Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. That's his name. I think he's a horrible actor, and I really hope he doesn't show back up. Sorry about that. I'm back. Uh, may have not noticed, but I took a quick break. Um, in case you couldn't hear in the background, my wife was calling me, so I had to stop and talk to her real quick. Anywho, so yeah, Ch Channing, Channing Tatum. I hope to God he doesn't show back up. Buddha, Lucifer, uh, Joe Patch, whoever's going to listen to me, please don't have Tatum showing back up in my G.I. Joe movies. Uh, if you want to have Duke, let's replace him with a different actor. Uh, I don't care. Anyone that can act at this point, all right? Anyways, back on to G.I. Joe news. Um, on April the 2nd of 2014, in an interview with Collider, the Rock said he believes that Chu may not return to direct because he's working on the live-action Gen movie, but they are going to find another director for the film. Uh, it was revealed that the third film will have a 2016 release date. Then here, just about a, a month or so ago, June the 23rd, uh, again, producer D. Bonaventura told Collider in an interview that they're meeting with new directors and filming may start as early as 2015. On July 1st, Variety reports that Jonathan Lemkin will write the script for the film and it'll focus on Roadblock with The Rock returning. Yes, not The Rock's cooking. I don't know. Okay, anyways, that's G.I. Joe news. Um, so we've covered G.I. Joe. We've covered Marvel news. We've covered uh, DC movie news. What does that leave us? Oh, yeah. DC news for the TV, our television. What we got going on there, kids? Well, as you may have heard, uh, there's going to be a Constantine TV series on NBC. 
Fox is going to have a Gotham series. Originally, it was supposed to be like a, uh, a cop show, a, a drama cop procedural show uh, revolving around Gordon before Batman shows up. Too many fanboys complain that they want Batman, so now Bruce Wayne's going to show up in there more often as a kid. And a lot of the commercials I've seen, they're going to show a lot of the Batman villains before they become villains. Was that comes out? Uh, troubling rumor I've heard is that supposedly there's supposed to be a hint of the Joker in every season. Sorry, of every episode of the first season. Yeah, supposedly the rumor is that every episode of the first season is going to have a hint or a rumor or something about the Joker. I don't know how I feel about that. I like the Joker as much as the next guy, but I'm afraid they may overdo it. Uh, we'll see how Fox handles it. Handles it when Gotham premieres this fall. Um, last bit of news I have for DC and the TV, and which to me is the best part of the news and the uh, the greatest thing on TV right now. Uh, first, we have Arrow. It's coming back for a third season. This season, uh, they're going to have a guy named J.R. Ramirez show up as Ted Grant. Who's Ted Grant, you may ask? Well, Ted Grant is Wildcat, original member of the Justice Society. Uh, great character. I, I think this J.R. Ramirez is young. But again, it's par for CW. CW and all their characters. You know, everyone needs to be young and good looking. Uh, we'll see how it comes out. Also, as I may have mentioned, I know I mentioned on my blog... Um, the Atom, Ray, Ray Palmer is going to show up on the Arrow. Uh, Ray Palmer is one of my favorite heroes, so I, I'm excited to see him showing up on the Arrow. Uh, we'll see how Brandon Roth does his uh, Ray Palmer. And finally, on to Flash news, uh, they've added Wentworth Miller as Leonard Snart, who, if you don't know, is Captain Cold. And also, Kelly Fry is playing Sergeant Bet Sans Suki. I may mispronounce that last name. It's a French-Canadian name. Uh, she's also known as the Firestorm villain Plastique, who later on the comics ended up marrying Captain Adam. Uh, so yeah, so in The Flash, they're going to have Captain Cold and Plastique showing up. Very excited. Uh, also, the final bit of news... And one of the most exciting bits, I've talked before about uh, Ray Palm, sorry, Ronnie Raymond, a.k.a. half of the Firestorm duo showing up on The Flash this season. Well, they've also said that Professor Martin Stein is due to show up. In fact, he was supposed to be in the pilot for The Flash, but due to the length of the pilot and other things, he was cut out of it. But Professor Martin Stein is going to show up in The Flash. Did you hear me? Hey, pay attention. Professor Martin Stein and Ronnie Raymond. Firestorm is going to be in The Flash. I am just so excited about it. As I said, The Atom is one of my favorite heroes. The other one is Firestorm. So I'm definitely, and Flash is in the top five or so. So, I mean, I definitely can't wait for this season to get underway and to see Flash, Firestorm, The Atom, my most favorite heroes, finally making their way to the TV screen. It's not quite the big screen, but I'll take this. Uh, I don't know what to say. I'm just excited about it. But that'll do it for Geeking with Head this week, or this episode. Next we have, Where's Head Going? 
this week, I keep saying this week, uh, this month, head is going to www.jibjab.com. That's J-I-B-J-A-B dot C-O-M. Uh, it's a website that was founded in 1999 by Evan and Greg Spirdelius. That's how I'm pronouncing it, Spirdelius. It has three main sections on their site. E-cards, everyday fun sendables, such as funny videos, and originals. Uh, they became popular back in 2004 for the presidential election with a video called This Land, which featured George W. Bush and John Kerry singing a parody of John Woody Guthrie's song, This Land is Your Land. Uh, every year since 2005, they have had a year in review, which talks about the highlights of the year. Of the year. That's correct. Um, and they have just, it's a bunch of funny videos. They take uh, their year in review, looks at what's happened the previous year, puts it in song formats. Uh, I can't describe it, do it justice. I definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, that's www.jibjab.com. Uh, check it out. And finally, for my final thoughts this week, uh, make sure you rate the Headcast on iTunes. Uh, that's how everyone knows about it. Uh, if you rate it on iTunes, if I bring it up in the ratings, more people hear about it. Uh, tell your friends. Uh, and feel free to email me any suggestions. I'm willing to take any suggestions, compliments, complaints, whatever you got. Send them my way, all right? Also, be sure to visit my blog. Uh, you can reach it through my website at headspeaks.com. The top uh, left corner is a little button that says uh, Headspeaks, I believe it is. Uh, click on that, and then you can choose either Headspeaks or... Uh, okay, it says Headcast. Click on that, and then you can pick either Head Speaks for this podcast or my Task Force X podcast. Uh, check it, leave some messages, let me know what you think. Um, also, starting next episode, which hopefully, I'm sorry for the delay in this one, uh, hopefully I'll get the next one out a bit sooner. Um, I am going to make a few minor changes. Uh, what's going to happen? Well, check it out and find out. Come back next month and join us and find out what happens on Head Speaks. Anyways, I guess that's it for this episode of Head Speaks. Um, have yourselves a nice day, and we'll see you in the funny pages. So long. And thank you for listening to another great episode of Head Speaks. Be sure to look for me on the web. I can be found rambling on the Task Force X Headcast, where I cover all the appearances of the Ostrangers, Suicide Squad, and the Checkmate comic books from the late 80s, early 90s. My home on the inner tubes is my official website at headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S.com. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. I am on Facebook at headspeaks, the community, not the page. The, the, community, or the page is somebody else. On Google+, look for headspeaks. Please feel free to email me your bitches, moans, and gripes to headspeaks at headspeaks.com. Also, feel free to email any compliments you have also. In the meantime, be sure to join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood brother head. And be sure to tell a friend. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny pages. We'll destroy the world by...